Welcome, everyone, and you are listening to The Last Dinosaur, and I'm your host, Chris Aversano. On today's podcast, we have another year in review with our very special guest, uh, Evan Estafiu of SkySail Advisor, as well as being the CEO of Burmeister and Vogel. Uh, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, which hopefully you are, and if you're not, please uh, add, you know, add, go ahead and follow. Uh, you know that Evan was on about a year ago. We had a great conversation and we talked about what's next for the industry. We made some recaps. We made some predictions. Well, he did. Uh, and we hope to continue that today. Um, the focus here is going to be discuss a little bit of year review in maritime technology and talk a little bit about what 2024 will bring. Uh, also, what's unique about Evan's appearance today is he is that he is that he's the third person to to be a two time uh, guest on the podcast, joining Darren Shelton and Nick McCarr. Uh, now it's going to be soon a badge of honor. Will we get to three and four and five? It could kind of be like something they see on SNL with, you know, if you go back a little bit, uh, I'm dating myself to things like Paul Simon and and uh, Steve Martin and things like that. So uh, welcome, Evan. And and maybe you'll be the first one next year to hit three or, or even before that. Thanks for coming on the pod again. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be here today. So before we get, you know, before we get to the topic at hand, uh, just a little bit, can you bring the audience and us up to date on what you got going on? You know, if you don't know, Evan publishes a couple times a year, this great map. And I think it's it's an influence on a lot of things of, of the landscape of the maritime industry and, 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 you know, digital technologies. But he also has a lot on the go with Burmeister and Vogel. Uh, talk to a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about what you got going on there. Well, Chris, I think first and foremost is there's been so much activity on the maritime tech landscape that we've just had our heads down trying to update the map and not just adding new logos here, but really looking at how are the shifts and how capital is coming into maritime tech affecting the ways that companies are looking at buying technology and identifying new needs that they have. Um, so... Uh, we're a bit overdue on getting our latest map out. It should be out any week now. But really what you've seen is continued activity in terms of venture capital, um, very serious private equity investment. We're really seeing the emergence of some of the private equity backed roll-up platforms that we predicted a bit last year happening. And, uh, and you know, we're starting to see some of these areas where there's been a lot of investment and in cash spent where, you know, it's yet to be seen how the playing field plays out. So um, quite a bit on that, on the uh, sky cell front, I think there's a, a I would say the, there's more professionalization around the data available and data awareness around maritime tech and investments. We're seeing a number of venture studios. I myself have been involved with the see ahead team up here in Boston in helping them build out their venture platform. Uh, which has been very exciting. Uh, uh, the guy's been working at it for over five years, and uh, it's it's very exciting to see that uh, Mark Quang, Alyssa Peterson, uh, really driving that initiative uh, with the team around them. And um, you know, beyond maritime tech, the the tech talk in the room, of course, that hasn't escaped anyone is AI, right? I, I found it amazing in our discussions, not only in maritime, but just in regular day to day. It is amazing to see how many people are asking, is AI going to take my job? Yeah. Right? And we're talking at every level in every country, right? I've talked to people 
in, uh, in, in places like, you know, London and Budapest and Athens who are saying, hey, is AI going to take my job? Like, work gets outsourced to us over here. I've talked to people in the Philippines who said they know entire teams that got replaced by chat GPT, teams of, of content writers. And so uh, it's very pervasive at not just like a business level, but at a social level. And I think that one of the real questions that we're going to see play out in 2024 is, you know, what is AI and, and what can it really do for maritime technology? Yeah, I, I I think I'd like to explore that a little bit more. That's on the sky scale sky scale front. But how are we doing? Uh, anything to talk about here before we jump into a retro of 2023? Anything to talk about with uh, with your other venture that you're you know wear the other hat and that's on the uh, Burmeister and Vogel uh, side. BNV has been an exciting project over the past four years since I bought the business. We modernized the technology and we had a very exciting announcement that we've just launched our AI-powered demerge platform. And uh, not just jumping on an AI bandwagon here, we actually started our development over two years ago. We started with a basic thesis that we could digitize some of the trade documents relating to late time and demerge. And we actually realized that we've found a workflow that is complementary to the way that people work in shipping as opposed to disrupting the way they work. And uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback from the market about what they've seen in terms of what we've already built, as well as some of the new capabilities this offers. So um, very exciting times ahead. Uh, we've really uh, spent a long time working with our customers on that. And uh, what you see, Chris, really is that I think that the areas such as demurrage that are very manual, time intensive, costly if there's a mistake, those are the areas where AI has the potential to be transformational, right? So providing better insights to teams that already know the data they're working with versus totally transforming their workflows. And I think that in and of itself is going to be the transformation. So um, uh, we've, we've got uh, some exciting tools that we developed that allow you to audit to late time statements, something never been done before import a late time statement automatically from your counterparty and, uh, you know, digitizing the SOF, which we know there are a number of vendors out there that have been trying to crack the SOF, but we really think that, uh, you know, when it comes to building mousetraps, we're really onto something here. So a uh, very exciting times ahead. We've seen that uh, demurrage is one of these things that is a pervasive problem for everybody. And just about every voyage charter uh, has to calculate demurrage, you know, or despatch in the dry bulk trade. And so uh, lots of room here. Um, and as a result, we've also seen lots of vendors jump into this space in the market, but I think that uh, very quickly, we're gonna see how things play out. So um, a lot of work basically, uh, but what's new? I think everybody's been busy lately. You know, it's funny. I think I think that's gonna be the approach. And I think the for the maritime industry and kind of what I've learned over the last year and a half plus doing this, and we started talking about AI very early on in the podcast with the aforementioned Darren Shelton. They use a little bit of AI. They use some AI in their technology. Sea uh, machines uh, use some uh, technology. Those are some of my earlier uh, folks that I spoke to. And I, I, one of the things that's resonated, and it sounds like you guys are taking the same path, and that is keeping the human in the loop, right? Uh, Demurrage is time-consuming 
um, in terms of getting the facts right before you could start to make the negotiation based on the charter party. So before you even get the the um, to the point of using your skill set of understanding charter parties and how one clause relates to another and perhaps even the latest arbitration or other legal uh, ramifications of a particular clause or group of clauses, you have to figure all this all the the details out and, and if you could pull that away a little bit and, and allow for people to uh to to kind of add the value in that more important part and less into filling out you know statements and things like that i think is is important i think that that's what the community is looking for so so good luck and i'll we'll be sure to obviously include a link to the company um you know in the show notes and in the newsletter but you know the real focus is to look back a little bit in 2023 and kind of make our bold or otherwise predictions into 2024 for what it's worth so i went back to the old script uh that we did last year and and i have <laughs> something interesting and i looked at some of your comments so let's start with a comment that you said um I think there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of capital looking for a home. And I think that maritime tech is a very attractive space for that. And that's what you, you know, you go back and, and if you didn't say it exactly, ChatGPT got it wrong. It was probably pretty close. Cause I remember something like that saying that and, and kind of given what we've seen in, in the last 12 months, interest rates continue to rise. Although some people may argue we're maybe at the peak and going to be giving back some of those, but certainly the the method, the landscape today is we have a, a you know a, a higher interest rate uh, landscape than we did a year ago, and all the other things that are going on. Uh, uh, talk to me a little bit about: Do you still feel that's the case that that you know maritime tech is an attractive space for uh, investors, whether it's VC, PE, or a combination thereof? Absolutely. I feel there's a very strong sentiment in the market that it's an attractive space. People look at the level of digitalization that we're at, and they see that there's a lot of room to go from where we are to more automation, more insights from the data that's available in the companies. Um, and then what's added to that or what amplifies it is the decarbonization piece, right? Mm. In other words, the amount of information that you need to gather and process to be able to measure, manage, and minimize your emissions adds a layer of complexity and more data coming in. Now, that being said, you know where's the best place to deploy the capital? What's the right price to pay? I think we've seen, you know, sort of a spectrum of transactions where, you know companies either to insiders might feel overvalued or undervalued. And then other situations where companies raised a lot of money, but then really weren't at a position where they could raise more later and then struggled through that after they spent their money. And so uh, there are still some of those challenges that, that exist, I think, in, in sort of any market cycle. But, you know, we're seeing, as I mentioned earlier, some of the private equity backed plays uh, making acquisitions. So I think a notable one at the beginning of the year, was Kepler acquiring marine traffic in Fleetmon, right? So that's following Kepler's uh, transaction uh, a couple of years prior, right? Where they raised significant amount of capital. And, and that's just part of this consolidation play. Uh, we've seen others like Lloyd's making investments as well. So a couple of large transactions overall in the industry, uh, continued venture capital activity, we saw some activity in the bill of lading space with Secro raising a seed round, right? So suddenly, as you're going to digital trade documents, 
there's renewed interest in areas like bills of ladings where we've had companies like Estocs and Bolero in the game for a very long time, but now suddenly the playing field changes a bit with new regulation that might open up yeah. these interests at a time when they're already looking, how do we digitalize? Bills of lading. I mean, they've been around since the beginning of trade, really. And, and you know, how do you digitize that? Uh, one of the things, and I agree with you, but one of the things that I, I found kind of interesting here, and you started to read some chatter, especially, uh, you know, we're about a month, of, uh, a month past of kind of a little bit of the fallout of what happened uh, with Nautilus and they were sold uh, to another uh, to, to another firm uh, and they've had to kind of reduce their staff. A lot of people have written about it. One of the interesting things that kind of caught my eye and 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 not necessarily about Nautilus, but in general, and I've kind of wondered this the last two or three years, 23, the beginning of the bubble, or what's your, what's your take on that? That's, that's a great question, Chris. I remember during the sometime early on in, in COVID, I was interviewed by Greg Miller over at Freight Waves. And, you know, one of the questions that I posed in that interview was, you know, does COVID, is that really uh, the death knell for a number of these maritime startups? Because suddenly you can't go out, you can't visit the customers, you can't show them what you have. So this important part of customer acquisition isn't available to you as a tool anymore because we're now doing Zoom calls and Teams calls. But in fact, a bit of the opposite happened where companies suddenly realized they weren't set up to work from home and they needed technology to enable the collaboration in the organizations, the sharing of information and documents and decision support. And so that turned out to be very good for tech companies. So we saw an acceleration of investment in maritime tech. Um, I mean, I think the Nautilus Labs story is one that in a number of ways does have parallels with being a bubble, right? It's almost like a modern day level C's, if you will, right? You've got a company that raised, if you take both the venture capital, like the venture equity and venture debt, total of over $53 million, according to their pitch book profile, at $100 million post money valuation in the latest round in 2022, that come end of 2023, gets to a situation where they're running out of cash and they transact at a valuation that's a fraction of that, right? Um, reports are single digit millions. And uh, and so uh, you think of level C's, right? Where the story was, what, $50 million invested that at the end of the day, Clarkson's symbolically uh, bought it for a dollar, right? Mm. So so you're asking, well, what, what does that story tell us? I mean, I think on the... You know, if you want to be on the cynical side, you could say, gosh, well, you know, couldn't we have found faster ways to validate whether or not this idea would work? But if you spin it and look at on the positive side, what happened? I think that if you look at the history of maritime tech and the VC and M&A activity in maritime, it was the Nautilus Lab Series A back in uh, 2018, 2019 or so that really put maritime tech on the map when it comes to venture capital. That, that was done with the Microsoft team, right? The uh, their their arm M12 Ventures, yeah. Uh, and so that's really, I think that we can credit them for that. And the other thing is, if you look at the truly mission-driven purpose, right? That Nautilus came in, and if you look at kind of how they talked about what they're doing, they said, "Hey, you know, we've realized that maritime is 
one of the sort of one of the niches where with a little bit of work, we can have a massive impact when it comes oh, yeah. to innovation, right? Because you optimize a ship, like that's massive emissions compared to optimizing, you know, a rail car or a, a truck or yeah. you name it, right? Someone's it, house. I mean, yeah, you could put a filter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, right? Great, you know. I and, mean. And, and so, and so from that perspective, Nautilus was able to bring in a team of, I think, you know, up until the very end, they had a team of close to 100 people. Yeah. That, that bringing in people with experience in development, AI, machine learning, who've learned shipping, right? And these people, I think a lot of these people are going to stay in shipping, right? They're going to go work in other companies. They're going to yeah. take know-how and apply it. And so I think that that's one of the positives that comes out of it. Um, but I do yeah. think that, uh, you know, the change in interest rates, everyone talks about it. Um, uh, but things like the change in interest rates, suddenly the cost of capital has changed and investors are looking at, well, what kind of return can I get for the capital I'm investing? And so uh, in a number of cases, you're going to see investors say, hey, can can we reach profitability? And, you know, Nautilus itself, I felt that it was somewhat lacking a few, you know, really good anchor customers the way that, say, for example, is Zero North, if you look at the genesis of Zero North, right? early on backing from Cargill and Maersk, you know, things like that can sort of help you sustain these periods because, you know, once again, if you look at Zero North's financials, there's been a significant investment, significant yep. losses on a PL basis to get to where they are with the hopes that with enough volume of ships and with the development of the technology, they can actually get to a point where this is a business that can be profitable while achieving its mission of reducing emissions. You know, we talk about having to having having to have a passion for the industry that wherever you work in, that we have a lot of passionate people. And I think one of the things I think we're all kind of, you know, especially if we come from the industry, we're all kind of guilty of it is, oh, no, no, you have to have passion. You have to have the ship passion, all this other stuff. And then, like, I think you point out and I've had the occasion to talk to some of the folks from from Nautilus. They love, I think, what you said about what they their mission of emissions. Right. Which you could also see for the for, you know, at least through talking to some folks and through their market material, you know, Zero North has the same thing. And then smaller companies have the same thing. And I think that they're passionate about that. Not all of them are shipping people. Uh, Nautilus, I'm not too sure how many were, you know, you could do a retro on that. Maybe it wasn't enough or yeah, whatever. Um, I always believe in a balance, a, a huge balance, you know, to any corporation. You can't have it all run by shipping people because you may not get anything done the right way. And you can't have it run by tech people because they don't speak the language. So you got to find this this balance. You got to be able to have somebody who could speak the language internally and kind of talk to developers and AI, and then someone who could speak the language externally and be able to go and sit with clients, especially if you've been a client or you've used similar software, you've you know, been in trades or inspected a ship or purchased fuel, you understand that. And that's hard to, you know, being in battles over bills of lading or being in battles over charter party clauses, that, that that's different than understanding it. Right. Um, and I think, and I think that there's a balance that companies need to have, but certainly I, I, I agree with you. I think it is, you know, certainly uh, for the people who lost their jobs, it's, it's uh, a terrible especially this time of year, but hopefully of many, if not all those folks can land on their feet and they stay in the industry and kind of, uh, you know, give that enthusiasm about this topic, which, which is that the, uh, the, the coming together of 
tech and emissions and shipping is it's a pretty good story and something that's not going to go away and something that I think all products are going to have. You're seeing now, you know, the EU ETS uh, is, is important. You're going to have another round of sulfur emissions in, in 15 months or so, 16 months in May of 2025. So all this is kind of coming to an head. Um, one of the things that, 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 you know, we kind of talked about one of the topics, uh, 2023 was a big year. We had a lot of digital things. What do you, what would you rate and kind of, you already set up a little bit about what you think some of the, the, the key highlights were for the year what, what what do you think like the two or three big stories if you had to write an article and we start to see all these articles top you know top five football stories or soccer stories if you're into that uh top five political stories we won't get into that because that could go down a road that nobody wants to talk about on this podcast go <laughs> listen to somebody else but let's talk about the top two or three you know, maritime digital technology stories that you think happened, you know, in 2023? I mean, I think 2023 decarbonization and vessel performance monitoring has been really one of the top categories, at least being discussed. And we're seeing a lot of people, and you see it, there are a lot of technologies that have come out and said, we can now calculate things like EU ETS for you, right? We can help you optimize this fleet. So lots of options available, lots of people talking about it, but also lots of people doing things about it. So companies are investing the time to evaluate solutions. And, um, you know, so to the to the story of like, where's maritime tech and is it exciting? Well, you know, to, to talk more on like the VC speak, right? The total addressable market, the amount of money that people are spending on technology in maritime is growing. Yeah. And a good way to think about this, Chris, that um, you know, I have to say to 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 give credit to uh, a great friend of mine, Stephen Baldwin, the one who kind of put us on the AI journey two years ago and continues to coach our team. You know, Stephen's building out things like Disney Plus for the world, right? And uh, uh, you know, Stephen put it very succinctly. He said, Evan. It's not that companies are spending more on maritime tech now. It's that they've identified that they can save money they're spending elsewhere or costs they already have by adopting maritime tech, yeah. right? They are already spending that money. They're just doing it in different ways, right? It's in, in, in people and in efficient processes or the money lost when mistakes happen. But make no mistake, the costs are in your supply chain. The costs are in your trade execution of buying and selling that oil or in your voyage chartering oper and operations on the post-fixture side, right? It's not that I'm spending more on tech. I'm investing in tech to enable more efficiency and reduce those costs and deliver a better service and perform better. Because you know, don't forget, shipping is a derived demand business. Right, it is a derivative of something else. Someone buys and sells a commodity that needs to be transported from origin to destination. Maybe it's from a producer of a raw material to a processor, whether it's it's a, a smelter, a refiner, or or you name it, or a grain mill, and then onward to the end customer that that refined product, whether it's cement, steel, you know, milled grain or gasoline. So. Um, so when you look at that process, ships only exist purely as derived demand. So as a carrier serving a shipper, 
to put it in generalized uh, transportation speak, service is important, right? And part of service is the cost, right? Freight is very competitive. It's a hyper-competitive, globally efficient business in that sense, but service is important. So, um, and part of decarbonization is we're reducing not just the cost of transportation, but the negative impact we're having on the world around us from emissions. Right. And we're delivering a better service to our customer because guess what? They're starting to ask themselves and ask their vendors, hey, how are you helping us meet our goals? So yeah. all of this is interlinked. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things, and, and maybe it, it, it we build on it for 2024 as we get into kind of the, the next discussion, but certainly you know, shipping is going to be, you know, it, it obviously in and of itself is a produce is a, you know, part of the, uh, you know, part of the emission story. But as people start to measure, measure things like SOC 3 compliance, you know, all the different parts that touch the shipper, the, the barges, the the fuel, the broke, the, the, the bunker barge is going into it. I think it's going to be and that all is the different part of shipping that may necessarily be overlooked in this first wave of let's get the ships. And I think that that's going to be the story for going forward. I think one of the other interesting stories, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it, I just kind of thought about it, is is this evolution of Starlink uh, in our space. You know, um, I had Scott Bergeron on in the fall uh of oldendorf and he said you know he had a handful of ships that they were testing uh he made an interesting comment and i and i think it goes well with technology is uh he argued that the um the maritime space is not the last dinosaur they adapt technology it's just a matter it has to go through extra rigors that other spaces don't necessarily have to go through whether it's salt salt water uh vibration of the ship um maybe less than expert use because you know you don't have uh technicians that could be called out if there's a problem so you're kind of using general engineering sense not specific sense to fix something whether it's a computer program whether it's a uh you know something that that measures uh you know that monitors emissions or monitors flow and things like that um uh, what you know i think that has a lot of impact because it could be mean more data delivery and then Sorry, it got sidetracked. And then you have, of course, uh, the announcement just after I had Scott on a podcast or around the same time where Maersk is going to put all their container ships on Starlink. Obviously, cruise ships have been on Starlink. That's going to be a huge shift in what could be delivered to the sailors uh, because right now it's we generally look at it in packages and small data bits and what's ashore. That's going to change a lot. I think that's going to be a story where uh, that's a developing story this year. Well, it certainly means that there's going to be a lot more data coming back and available. So you're storing more data, consuming more data, and you've got to make sense, like what's the signal, what's the noise. And yeah. so um, that availability of data, the more data that's available, then the more, you know, bringing it back to AI and machine learning, right? For these models to work, they need data, right? It's not that the artificial intelligence learns on its own. In other words, like it's learned something and then from here, it's going to make the next 10 guesses. No, it's taking the data sets it's learned from and applying those learnings to identify the patterns and build out the automations from there. So for these models to continue learning, they need more and more data, right? So that's starting to become enabled because data and shipping has always been fairly fragmented. And again, this is where 
people who have larger fleets or larger trading activities stand to benefit from the volume of activity they do and the data available to them. So I think that that's, uh, that's certainly uh, an area that, uh, you know, as more data becomes available, you know, working with it, doing something with it, we're going to see a lot of people busy figuring that out. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's pretty uh, going to be a pretty interesting one, which brings us to kind of as we as we start to think about next year, you know, what if you put the crystal ball on where, where, where you know, go get your crystal ball, go wear your hat, your, your guessing hat. What do you think the next what are we looking at in 2024? What do you feel is 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 going to be um, the big stories in digital tech in the maritime space? Well, you know, funny enough, Chris, what I haven't heard that I think just three, four years ago you would hear regularly was I haven't heard anyone say that they're building the Uber of shipping, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't heard people touch the, I'm going to match ships with cargoes. Whereas three, four years ago, I could name three, four platforms that that was yeah. the mission in life. So I found that interesting given how ubiquitous Uber and Airbnb and all of these matching types of platforms are. I think um, that goes, I, I think that goes to really to what uh, my comment that I said earlier is that the, the human in the loop, I think there's too much stuff that could go wrong that yeah, yeah, yes. General. And I know signal and actually my old boss for Tidemark said I would have built a cargo matching program if I think it would have worked, you know, 10 years ago. Um, you said that to us. I, I think he said it in articles, said it to us internally. And I kind of have to believe, I, I think there's going to be elements of cargo matching, you know, and I think that Signal has some, others have some. I know lots of people who are working on things. I, I think there's a space for that, but the actual trading of ships, I think, is where people draw the line is, yeah, you can give me a platform, see everything. I still know what I, I need to do and I need to do that kind of off that. that that's kind of my feeling I, I don't think it'll ever be like a bid ask like uber or something like that i just yeah the uber of shipping yeah that you're right that was uh, right before covid that was kind of a real big thing that was a big thing so so um and and i don't think we're going to see that yet i mean i think um you know one trend we're really going to start to see you know, does a two-tier market develop between the what I'll call it the the larger scale private equity backed platforms, right? You've got Vessen as a real stalwart leading in the voyage management, but having expanded beyond that with the acquisition of Vessels Values, right? You've got Kepler now having acquired marine traffic as well, further expanding the cargo tracking predictions and insights capabilities. And then you even have, if you look at the post-fixture side, Marcura having done a, a transaction where they brought in a private equity partner and making acquisitions such as ShipServe and, and sort of building out what they're doing on the post-fixture side. So I think those types of, you know, we call them roll-ups, I think we'll continue to see them expand. But, you know, what will be interesting to see is like what develops on the other side of that? Are we going to keep seeing venture capital money coming in in funding solutions and if so like what are those what's the white space like what are the areas that haven't been attacked because um it's getting harder and harder i mean i think the market and, and things like nautilus have proven that you know you can't just walk into vessel performance management and solve that problem 
without spending several million dollars and having a lot of experience and, and ships to do that with, right? Um, the other area that, I, that I, I, I'm curious to see how it evolves, and I think it'll happen the moment that, you know, things like carbon credits become a real tangible thing for everyone is, uh, you know, people like uh, my old colleagues at Marsoft have been developing uh, carbon credits and green screen product where they're helping clients with originating carbon credits, right? That's a bit outside of the landscape as I track it, but that could become a yet another commodity you need to be able to buy and sell in the middle of buying bunkers. You've got a bunker desk, yeah, great desk. And you need to have a carbon credits desk. Carbon credit desk, yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. Um, and, and then you know, just if I look at the kind of the 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 feedback we've gotten with the work that we're doing on the demerge side, I uh, uh, I, I have a hunch that uh, if you look at how human capital intensive demerge is, and how that process has not fundamentally changed in the last forty years, you know, automating lay time is something that needs to happen. And we're well on the path to doing that. I mean, that's really what we see as the opportunity that has emerged thanks to AI and machine learning combined with, you know, lots of experience in the space. So that's that's an area that I know, at least on our end, we're doubling down on. And, right. uh, and, and we're getting the feedback we're getting from the market is resonating because, um, you know, everybody, it's interesting, Chris, everybody starts their career being handed with <laughs> time. And it's all start with lay time so you can understand the business. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it again. Yeah. And then run far away from it. But uh, it's certainly, you know, uh, what's the, what's the Godfather two quoting, you know, just when I thought, thought I got away, it's sucking me back in. So yeah, no, that could be a little bit of it. I, I what I'm interested, I, I think, you know, AI, we're seeing a, 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 uh, Gray Wing, um, who's a company that does some uh, some crewing and stuff like that, they they've created like a C Chat Chat GPT to help them with their crewing. Um, yep. So they're building that, and I, and I think we're going to see more of that. I, I'm very curious about that uh, that development. I think AI is going to be more ubiquitous in all sorts of software uh, throughout, you know, shipping, even more so in the next six to 12 months. I think you're going to see uh, common offerings as just part of, as part, you know, just that's going to be commonplace within the offering. Maybe not even an extra cost. Maybe it'll just be a part of what the offering is. One of the things that I I kind of see, and it's it's actually a soft and hardware um, coming together. And, and that is, you know, you have all these, going back to emissions, all these emissions software, and some of it's hardware, like carbon capture, actual physical carbon capture, uh, scrubbers, uh, uh, the the paints and these kind of bubblers that make your hull more slick, combined with routing, combined with, you know, all these other types of software. I, I think what you're going to see is consolidation like that in that type of industry. So, in other words, somebody, and I, again, go back to my interview with Scott Bergeron. He said, if somebody sends me an email, says, I can give you 10% emissions or 20% emissions efficiency, I throw it out because I know it can't happen. That's right. You give me 4%. That's nice, right? But I, I think smart companies are going to say, I want to package a routing company, uh, you know, a hull painting company offering. Uh, a, a carbon capture or some sort of uh, sulfur remediation company, 
And I'm going to give you with those four things or, you know, a couple of other things, I'm going to give you 18% reduction emissions. That's a tangible number, but you have to do these things, right? So I think that it's going to be, you're going to see, I, I would imagine that's a soft end hardware consolidation, but around the emissions. That's it, something that's that I'm kind of- like the Venn diagram, right? Where it's like- Yes. A little bit overlap of one circle on another. Right. And the sweet spot is that middle where together, all yes. of the hardware and software working together give you- Again, an amplified result. Also, from a data point of view, you would have like one space for it, right? You wouldn't have to take a little here and a little, like you'd be able to quantify that a lot easier. And then that quantification is what you can then present to charters, to sellers, or to buyers. If you're selling your ship, you could present that a lot easier. I, to me, that's a very interesting space to see if that's a white space, I think, in the industry that we can end up going down. Um that you know the the parts are there. Just got to figure out you know which which ones you know which ones of the puzzle make sense. I think. Yeah. No. For sure. So as we wrap up, I always like to ask this question. Uh, so we're gonna quote you next year. You know, we're gonna put run the thing through the machine. So hopefully your predictions are are, are right. I don't think it's anything too untowards. Um, as we wrap up, I love to ask this question. I know you're busy between your ventures and everything else. So probably not writing a book, but are you reading anything interesting? Well, I just read a book called "Ask Your Developer" by the <laughs> founder of Twilio, Jeff Lawson, and um, you know. So aspects of the book are about just sort of tapping into software developers and their creativity and, and having them help guide where you're going. The The part that really jumped out for me, Chris, was more what I call the power of the API economy, right? Like as companies become specialists, like hyper niche specialists at what they do, by building out APIs, they can make that know-how available so that other vendors can plug in, right. pull that, build things together faster, like all these little building blocks. And so imagine it's like, you know, I can get my AIS data from people like Spire, right? Or Orbcom, but being able to pull that in and pull in maybe some vessel uh, vessel specific data on the voyage from Vessenzymos and you know, suddenly yeah. I'm pulling in questionnaires from Q88. And, you know, again, lots of people have bi-directional interfaces, but but really what, what strikes me as part of the future is in an API first world, suddenly you can simply put your documentation out there. Someone can sign up for a trial. The developers can hook in, pull data, validate it gets the right data. They sign up and then as they need data, transactions yeah. are happening. And more importantly, each of us in the maritime ecosystem with our unique part of the business knowledge and know-how, we can build better solutions on top of right. the Lego blocks that each and every other one of us have contributed. So, you know, maybe we produce the late-time engine or the statement of facts automation engine that then anybody and everyone could plug into, right? And so... By by divvying up the the uh, the specialization, you can actually enable growth through how we interconnect. So that 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 really has been an eye opener for me. Just reading the Twilio story and sort of like how they looked at enabling others to build apps on top of what essentially was their communication and collaboration platform. 
which a number of companies use today, right? Like you call an Uber and, you know, the messaging is routed through Twilio, mm. right? To get to the driver or if the driver calls you, same thing. So um, so that to me has been exciting. Uh, I just picked up another book uh, on uh, sort of the role of Kendall Square, right? My office is in Kendall Square here next to MIT where I went to school. And um, Kendall Square has a, a moniker of being the most innovative square mile in the world. Um, but uh, someone actually just wrote a book on it. And so I'm reading a bit about the history of Kendall Square and its mishmash of buildings and people and industry. And, uh, you know, like where my building is, like if you look at the old maps, like there were lumber yards and, and you know, bar coal barges coming up and down the, the Charles, yeah. canal right behind yeah, the canal, the building, yeah. right? Like that, that was 100 years ago. And now you're telling me today you've got land that's going for $50 million an acre and, you know, thousands of startup companies and high tech companies and biotech companies here. Um, really kind of exciting place. So I'm, I'm reading to learn a little bit more about it and like, what is it about Kendall Square that makes it an ecosystem? Um, it's th there's something to it. So I'm really intrigued. Somebody wrote a book about it. So that, that's what I picked up for the holidays. Awesome. I just picked up uh, Rick Rubin's book about creativity. Rick Rubin is the uh, producer, was a producer of many acts. I think the BC boys, I think um, rock and roll acts. And I saw him on a few things and he's an interesting character. And he talks a lot about the creativity process and not only from a work point of view and being creative in work, but then being creative uh, uh, in this venture, because um, I think I, I make no bones. This is my creative outlet. Um, I don't have any sponsors. If you want to sponsor, feel free to contact me. I'm always looking for them, but uh, uh, all kidding aside, um, it is a creative outlet. And, and one of the things that I gleaned from him, he said, don't create for anybody but yourself. And I find that to be super fascinating. And that's who I'm. So when I do these podcasts and I interview you and I have my guest, I'm not doing it for anybody but me. And if I find the conversation is interesting, then I think other people will find the conversation is interesting. And it's a really fascinating thing that um, that he kind of geared on there. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, it is my kind of holiday read. Hopefully I'll get to that. So Evan, as we wrap up, thank you so much for coming on. We'll put the links to your, to what you're doing uh, in the show notes. We'll have you on next year at the earliest. Of course, we're always happy to have you on earlier if you want to talk about anything else, but we'll definitely have you on this time next year. And hopefully we'll see you around. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. And, uh, and even if not sponsoring, I did notice that your podcast page had a, uh, had a little button you can click to buy you a coffee. So Yes. Oh, uh, uh, you can yeah, buy me a coffee, man. I think I made like uh, I'm still under a hundred bucks. So, uh, so yeah, let's let, let's go, everybody. We can make it I to the year end. I, th I think you've earned a number of coffees. Uh, I think you, this this has really been a great, not just creative outlet, but actually, again, you're creating content and awareness that is helping the industry, right? And like, uh, it, you know, I, I look at my maritime tech landscape. I never imagined it would take the life of its own that it did. And yet it's helping be one of the guides in the industry. And, yeah. uh, and I think similarly here, your podcast has really evolved into one of the guides. And, you know, I know a lot of people say to me, it's like, Hey, when's this next one? Who do you think is coming next? So keep it up, Chris. And thank uh, you. For th th thanks a lot, man. Yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, the old thing when the Jerry Lewis used to have his telethon, we got to have a telethon. So, so call, you know, uh, uh, operators are standing by for the, for the buy me a coffee. I'll have a link in the pod in the release notes. Uh, thanks again, Evan. I appreciate you coming on.